I just do everything in amongst the chaos. I have learned to not wait for perfect, perfect timing, perfect me, perfect anything, because I've realized that time isn't coming. But once you acknowledge and accept that, you realize that you have all the time. Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor, and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. My guest today on the podcast is Anne Freeman. Anne and I connected a while ago on Instagram where she posts about her life, writing and books. A sense of humour and authentic posts and comments instantly captured my attention and we began to chat. Anne's debut novel, Returning to Adelaide, was released in March this year, 2022. It's a contemporary fiction title about a woman finding the courage to follow her dreams, so it's right up my alley. The book is published by Hawkeye Publishing, a small, independent, traditional and hybrid publishing house based in Australia, and a company that I'll also be asking Anne about in terms of how she connected with them. Generally, when I'm writing up the intro for a guest, I take bits and pieces from the author bio on their website. But I wanted to read Anne's to you in full because I feel like it's a classic example of how an author bio can really tell you a lot about the author and encourage you to connect with them. So here's Anne's bio. It's taken Anne half her life to heed the writer's heart that beats within her but now everything she does is a step to that rhythm. A former award-winning milliner, promotional model, wanderluster, television extra, accessories designer, vintage market organiser, sales and marketing maven and creator of human life, Anne now chalks up her kaleidoscopic past to research and character development. From her little teak desk on Wurundjeri land in Melbourne, Anne writes contemporary fiction about women who are stuck in life and the extraordinary ways they shake themselves loose. They're always engaging and sometimes funny, with reluctant adventures, sexy escapades and friendships that uplift. Her debut novel, Returning to Adelaide, is out now with Hawkeye Publishing. It was a finalist in the 2021 Romance Writers of Australia Valerie Parve Award and was longlisted in the 2021 Hawkeye Publishing Manuscript Development Prize. In Stolen Moments, Anne is completing a Bachelor of Creative Writing at Deakin University, and her second manuscript, Me, that you see, was just shortlisted in the 2022 Hawkeye Manuscript Development Prize. She can usually be found making snacks for two small humans that look remarkably like her. Her hobbies include referring to herself in the third person and being adored by a husband who is too good for her. Oh, and wine. She likes wine. So there's a lot in that bio that I could relate to, particularly the uh, She Likes Wine part. And it also made me want to read Anne's book. So I'm going to be talking to her about that as well. And the same with the blurb of the book, which I'll ask Anne to give us 
a reading of. So this is a heart, craft and business of writing episode all rolled into one, which is happening a lot lately. And I'm finding that is working for listeners. I think there's a lot that we can learn from Anne in her approach to all three of those things. Before I get into the chat, I want to give a shout out to my new Patreon supporters, Nancy Cunningham and Sammy Granger, and a massive thank you to all the Patreon friends and family out there. Your support helps to pay for the editing and distribution of the podcast, and more importantly, lets me know you're enjoying the podcast and want it to continue. If you're interested, you can support the podcast for anywhere between 2 and $5 a month, and there are a range of bonuses which you'll find if you click on the Patreon tab at rightsforwomen.com. So all that now being done, let's hop onto the Convo Couch and chat with Anne Freeman. So Anne Freeman, welcome to the Rights for Women Convo Couch. Thank you, Pam. I've been very excited, eagerly awaiting this day. Oh, it's really good to have you on. And I mentioned in the intro that, you know, you and I connected on Instagram and we've chatted a little bit on there and been following your progress and Returning to Adelaide, which is your debut novel, came out in March this year. So congratulations on that. How is everything going since publication? It's very surreal, I think. When the box of novels arrived on my doorstep and I opened up the box and opened to a random page and was told to find my words and then kept turning to different pages and sure enough, there they were. And I think for about a week afterwards, every time I passed a copy of my book just at home, I would just turn to a random page and still there. Uh, <laughs> just an unbelievable experience. Very surreal. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. And ha- how have you found the, the fact that it's out there in the hands of readers and people are reading it and talking about it and writing reviews? How has that side of things been for you? Yes, I think I said to my husband initially when it was available to purchase and people that are not people that I know were off buying it and reading it. And I thought, what have I signed myself up for? Because it's one thing for your friends and family to say, oh, I love it. And it's, but do you you just love me? And so when you get that validation from readers who have never met me before and are leaving these sort of glowing reviews on sites like Goodreads, it puts a pep in your step. It's just wonderful. And the thing that I love so much is that every review you read, a reader has connected with a different element of the story. Mm. And it's just, I really think that a story comes to life um, with the reader. The author can only go so far and really it becomes a whole story once it's read. And so it's just so wonderful that readers have picked it up and brought it to life and I'm thrilled. Oh, that's a great way to look at it. And I love that too, is that it's like a real partnership between the writer and the reader. Like you're putting so much of yourself into it and creating this story and the characters. But then as you say, the readers are bringing themselves and their experience to the story as well. That's right. And I think we engineer in text and space for assumptions and space for the reader to flesh out the beginnings of ideas that you're suggesting. And they do that. And it really is like a dance. We really want to get into your backstory, Anne, and your path to publication and all that sort of thing. But let's talk a bit about the book, first of all. I've just read out, as I mentioned to you, your full author bio in the introduction, because I thought it was such a great bio. But equally, I thought the blurb of the book 
was really fantastic. And I'm just going to read it so readers can get a sense of it. And then maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the stories. Adelaide Jones is about to taste the sweet life. Raising her five-year-old twins is getting easier. And her husband, Joe, is selling his IT company for an ungodly sum. Then it all implodes. Has her quest to be indispensable to Joe rendered her invisible instead? It's time he learned how pampered he is. When Alec, an unrequited love from the past, invites her to the Greek islands, she flees on a whim. With bass beating in time with her heart, she isn't a wife or mother, but even in paradise, nothing is simple. Enmeshed in the lives of her new friends and succumbing to old passions, responsibility comes calling. Back home, she finds her world inexorably altered. Can she muster the courage to follow her dreams or will she surrender to a stifling sense of duty? And there's some fabulous cover quotes and everything there from a number of authors. Tell us about the story and where the idea came from for you. Uh, without, We're going to go back in time and, and find out where you started writing, but um, tell us about Adelaide, basically. Sure. Um, I think, you know, if there was a genre that was a coming-of-age story for women who are at that early stage of motherhood, then returning to Adelaide is it. You know, it really is a coming-of-age story. And as you say, her perfect, seemingly perfect life starts to fall down around her and she's really forced on this journey of self-actualisation. She's, I think a lot of us can relate to the metamorphosis of motherhood really changing who we are and we almost have to rebuild a different version of ourselves while honoring our truth and so that's what Adelaide does the idea for the story is a bit I don't know cheesy and cliched I was watching a travel documentary or one of those travel shows and they visited Pike's Hotel in Ibiza it's like that really famous rock and roll hotel his birthday party there and I think Wham's Club Tropicana was filmed. It's like this real iconic rock and roll hotel. So they visited this place in the TV show. Sure enough, that night I have a dream and it's at this hotel and I'm there as a guest and I'm desiring this very attractive hotel manager. And I woke up with this really very glowing and warm feeling. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that was delightful. And so I thought this could be the middle of the novel. It just had that middle, that delicious tension and that stuff that you really turn pages for. Will she or won't she? Yes. And is he interested? The signals are scrambled. And so I began to reverse engineer the story and I thought to really complicate things because who would want to read a story about a 20-year-old single woman who goes over and meets someone? How boring. So I thought... I'm going to make the protagonist very similar to me and made her a wife, a mother with young children. And then I had to figure out a way to get her to the other side of the world without her family mm. in a way that readers would accept and relate to and endorse. So rather than just off I go, I don't care about anyone. I had to engineer in a set of circumstances where she really thinks that she needs to go in order to save her family, in order to preserve the life that she holds so dear. And so that was the challenge to really give myself a complicated task. And that's where I, I started. Fantastic. So 
Let's go back and we'll come back to that point. But tell us about when you first decided that you, or when writing first called to you. When was it that you first started writing? And then how did that love of writing and that passion develop to the point where you thought, wow, I'm going to write a novel and then seek publication? Yes. What a crazy thing to do. Who would do that? So I think for many years, I've always delighted in words and I secretly played with them. I never shared any writing with anyone. I would I spent a lot of time journaling because that was a private space that I could really experience the enjoyment of words without any stakes, without having to show these things to anyone. And after the birth of my second child, I was on maternity leave and I think I was just looking for a pastime that was just for me, a creative outlet that would help me reconnect with the woman I was, not as a mother, not as a wife, but just as Anne. And writing is a very portable hobby. Mm. You can do it anywhere. It doesn't take surfboards or skydiving equipment. It's just your laptop or a pen or you can really set up and write anytime. And so I think that drew me in as well because I've, you read my comical bio. I've had the background in textiles and design. And so I would, I used to sew a lot. But when you have young children and you're pulling out the pin cushion and the needles of it, that is a hazard. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, like a, a laptop or a phone to write in is not. And so I listened to, and I can't remember the name of the podcast now, I wish I could, but I listened to a podcast and the topic was perfectionist's block and the notion that People don't begin something because they fear it won't be perfect. And I self-diagnosed with perfectionist's block and I realised that I was just not trying because I feared failure or just that it wouldn't be good. And I decided to put that feeling to one side and just do it anyway. And so I, I had this dream and I, I created this complicated situation And then, of course, you have to write the first sentence. Is there anything more terrifying than a blank page? And I just went, shut up, perfectionists. Block (laughs) it. Out of the way. Just step aside. I'm trying to do something here. And so I, I wrote, and I wrote most of the novel in the Google Docs app on my iPhone because I had two children under three, and I spent most of Like the only time I sat down during the day was to breastfeed my daughter. And so I would have her in one hand and my phone in the other and just writing out a few sentences at a time. And it certainly wasn't the perfect situation. But sure enough, if you put one sentence after another, eventually a novel will form. And it did. Mm. Fantastic. So were you doing this? Just sitting at home with the kids and or wherever you were going, just writing the novel, were you looking at doing any writing workshops or were you looking online at things? So you just thought, no, I've just got this novel and I just want to get it out. Yes, I think at the time I couldn't really even entertain the thought of doing any study or workshops or I really was at home in the trenches with the kids. If you think of Edie was six months old and like breastfeeding every two hours. 24 Mm. hours a day when she started crawling like she would literally climb my leg we've all had that experience and so the notion that I would 
go for a half day or a full day workshop somewhere was just not available to me. Edie wouldn't take a bottle, one of those very discerning people. And I was really at home. And the reason that I started writing it, it certainly wasn't to be published. I didn't even know if I would finish it. I set a goal of 80,000 words and I thought, can I even do that? And I told no one in case I didn't. I only told my husband because I didn't want that sort of like, how's the novel going? (laughs) Have you got it published yet? Right. So I didn't tell anyone. I started telling people when I was at 75,000 words when I felt like I think I could finish it. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I didn't look into any study at that stage because it just wasn't available. And I only started writing as a way to utilize this sort of decommissioned quadrant of my brain. Because when you're in servitude to your children in those very early days, there is a whole quadrant of your intellect that is absolutely just collecting dust. And I just wanted to utilize that and just remind myself of who I am other than this. I remember when I first enrolled in a master's of creative writing and I'd actually, I had started it and I was pregnant with my third daughter. And I just remember the joyous feeling I would get. I had to go in every Tuesday for a couple of hours. It was at University of New South Wales. And my mum would come over and mind, first of all, the other two. And there was even a few weeks there where I took the baby when I had her into class and had her in a capsule under my feet. But I just remember the elation I would feel as I drove out the driveway and just waved goodbye and see ya. Just was going to somewhere where we're going to talk about books and poetry and writing. It was so stimulating and wonderful. That's right. It's like a reunion with an old friend. It is. Waiting for you in that class was Pamela Cook. Just like here I am. Yeah. Haven't I haven't disappeared. I'm still here. That's right. (laughs) You sort of feel yourself like grains of who you are eroding with the tide of life. And I started writing just to reconnect with myself. Great. So once you got to the end, Anne, what did you do then? Did you leave it for some time or what was the next step for you? Okay, so I was so naive. It must be noted. This is a, a disclaimer. I immediately turned to page one and just started moving commas around because I thought, <laughs> I just, I was like, what do I do now? I should be, I don't know, like t- trying to improve it. But after I got over the comma moving, I enlisted the help of some close friends and family to read the manuscript and, and act as beta readers, which obviously is an invaluable process and took on board a lot of very insightful feedback. I have two friends that are psychologists that read the manuscript and they were just so instrumental in helping me shape the very emotional scenes that I haven't experienced myself. Now, most of what's in the novel, to a degree, I have drawn from my own experience and my own the experience of having a marriage on the rocks thankfully, is not in my repertoire. And so they were really able to point out when Adelaide, the protagonist, was reacting in a way that wasn't really realistic or happened too quickly, or they were able to help me with that, plus a whole host of other feedback from other friends. And then I started implementing those things. Yeah, yeah. And when did you get to the point where you thought, oh, maybe I can actually 
send this to a publisher and see what happens? Or were you, I know that you were also entering, you shortlisted, I think, in the Valerie Parve, didn't you? I did. So how, how did that come about? Yeah, I don't know that I ever had a moment where I thought this is pretty good. I just did it anyway because I figured that no one would come knocking on my door and demanding to know why I had the audacity to throw my hat in the ring. So again, the perfectionist's block, it comes with a shadow, which is imposter syndrome, which is my omnipresent companion, who I also now have learned to just ask to please be quiet. But I just started submitting entries to things. One of them, as you say, was the Romance Writers of Australia, Valerie Parve Award, um, which I was able to be a finalist in and another one was the Hawkeye Publishing Manuscript Development Prize which I also was a finalist for in that same year that was last year and that was the first inkling that I had that maybe it was okay yeah yeah you're getting that validation weren't you people saying yeah this is this is good and having as I say having friends and family say, well done, this is great. And it's, but do you think I'm great or do you think the book is great? Because they're two different things and I appreciate it. But yes, having those, those sort of critical accolades or just an acknowledgement of some level of competency was, um, and I think that then spurred me on to pursue publishing. Fantastic. And, And how did the contract with Hawkeye come about? So... I decided that I would invest in a a professional structural edit. Once I had that validation that this is something that has potential, I thought, okay, I'm going to invest a little bit in myself. And obviously, there's a number of wonderful writers, centres and Writers Victoria offer structural editing services and the like. But Hawkeye themselves offer structural editing also. And I thought, okay, I've had some good feedback via their emerging writers competition so I made the decision to enlist them for the structural edit and of course they schedule you in and then they've got a week to read the manuscript and then there's a Zoom meeting at the end of it to present the findings of the expedition and so I met with Carolyn Martinez from Hawkeye Publishing who is just wonderful just such a champion of the publishing industry and so enthusiastic And I met her for the first time thinking that I would get this real, like a laundry list of very challenging edits. And instead I got a publishing contract and edits. And I was just like, mind blown. So obviously that was just fantastic because when I started writing, the idea of having a book on a bookstore shelf didn't really occur to me. That's amazing. Wow, you must have bet you went home and had a wine that night or some champagne. Oh, definitely, any excuse, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I only say that because you do say you're a wine lover in your bio. I do, yes, because it's, it's good to provide those relatable details. <laughs> so once you got the contract and then you had another round of edits and everything and the book was going to be coming out, that sort of then puts you in a whole new space, doesn't it? Because now you're not just a hopeful writer tapping away in in the, the garret or whatever, your, your book is actually coming out. So what did you then have to get your head around in terms of, okay, my book's coming out, this is the next thing I need to do? Yes, I think I had built a little bit of infrastructure once I start making submissions 
to competitions and such. So I began an Instagram account and had basically nothing to talk about, but I was there anyway, showing up every day and putting my hand up to say, this is a thing I'm trying. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm trying. And would you like to come along for the journey with me? And that was incredibly frightening because it's one thing to be trying in the background and nobody knows about it, but to stand up and say, this is a thing that I care about deeply and I'm going to try to achieve a dream. You're basically standing out on a cliff edge in your undies. It's hard to imagine a greater vulnerability. And so I had to move through those feelings of discomfort. But in doing so, I have this wonderful community of Instagram friends, you included. Yeah, Um, yeah. And it's just that act of showing up every day and saying, I care about something. Would you like to care about it with me? Yeah. And so I had that Instagram account and I made a little website and I started doing these things because I realized that if I was making submissions, I was asking a publisher or a competition to take me seriously, but I wasn't actually showing any evidence that I was taking myself seriously. And if I can't lead with that, Mm. then how would I expect someone to pick me up out of a slush pile and say, we're going to give this woman a chance? So again, I had set up that infrastructure very tentatively and quashing those feelings that I have no right to be here and who even cares what I have to say to do those things anyway. Because fear is a, you know, can absolutely just snaffle out any dream you have. And you've really got to keep that pilot light ablaze. It flickers in the harsh winds of reality. (laughs) It does. (laughs) And so really, people will say, oh, questions like, when did you know you were ready? And I'm like, still not. (laughs) Still not. Every day I wake up and take a step forward, regardless of whether I feel worthy or ready or entitled or any of those things. It's the old Nike thing, isn't it? Just do it. It is. Yeah. <laughs> the They're on to something there. It's the closest thing to sport for me is to just yeah. do it mentality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you already had, you're on Instagram, you had set up a bit of a website. Once you had the publishing contract with Hawkeye, did you get uh, much advice or help and support in that area? I guess on the business side of things, that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about how you've handled that whole business side of things and what the role of the publisher has been in that? Yeah, I think I have a background in sales and marketing because I have lived so many lives, as aforementioned in the bio. And I think I just adopted that sense of I have a product and it's a little bit a book and it's a little bit mean. And I think if we use Instagram as an example, if you look at my Instagram, and you like what chances are you're going to enjoy my book. Mm. And if you don't, then you definitely shouldn't buy it. It's not going to be for you. (laughs) And so I think having that consistency of things like brand messaging and the tone, I'm trying to attract people that will connect with me and I'll connect with them. And by default, 
they should connect with my work as well. But you're right, the publishing industry, I had no idea. I had no understanding of how the industry worked. And it was just really through fumbles and research and learning from others. And you would attest to this, that the Instagram writing community is so generous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a really great network, I think. It really is. And so people are very generous with sharing information. Nobody is guarded. You mentioned earlier that I have a a couple of wonderful endorsements from Australian authors, Tanya Farrelly, who wrote The Eighth Wonder, and Rachel Johns, who wrote everything. Um, (laughs) And really, I connected with those women on Instagram, and I sent a message saying, I was wondering if you would be generous enough to read my manuscript and provide a cover endorsement. And it was just like, of course I will. It's amazing, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I try to be the same. I like try to be a cheerleader to everyone because it's difficult to put your hand up and say, this is a thing I want to do. This is a thing I want to be really good. And so encouraging those people that have had the courage to do that, I'm here for it. But it is the best. Yeah. It's a really good network to be part of, actually. Yeah. And you said you did have some background in sales. So has the whole sort of branding thing come fairly easily to you because of that background, do you think? Or are there other things you've had to learn along the way? I think it has come relatively easily. And I think I also, I'm quite an extroverted person. So I'm happy to show my face and turn up and connect with people. So I think those things have held me in good stead. Experiences that you collect along the way, that's, that's the, the benefit of getting on in years, is that there's a, a, a deep pool from which to draw in terms of this current. Yes. <laughs> we, you know, we wouldn't have it any other way. Um, But yes, learning about the publishing industry was really a steep learning for me. And working with Hawkeye Publishing, they're part of the small press network. So they're a boutique publisher. They don't have the reach that some of the bigger houses have in terms of distribution and existing partnerships. The flip side of that is that it's a very hands-on experience for the authors. As an example, I got to co-design my cover, an experience that I wouldn't have had with the bigger publishers. And I think also being so involved in everything has been not a baptism of fire because that kind of suggests that it hasn't been pleasant and it has been very pleasant, but let's just say like an intensive apprenticeship. Yeah. Yeah. And what about in terms of that edit, when you get across the line and they said, yeah, these are the edits we want to do. How did you find that whole process? Was that a really big learning curve for you or was, were there revelations there that you hadn't realised about the book or about writing? Editing, someone said to me once, it's like baking an apple pie and forgetting one ingredient and then trying to add it at the end. <laughs> I like that. I haven't heard that before. It feels yeah. like it's how do I get the baking powder in there now? <laughs> it's cooked. It's already cooked. So there's definitely challenges. I certainly enjoy the first draft more than the editing. I I know some people proclaim the opposite, but I'm definitely, I like to sweep through in a blaze of glory. It's amazing though, when you do your own editing and you pick up all those 
favoured phrases and the words you love and the filler words and all those things easy to iron out. They're easy wins, aren't they? You're like, I've yeah, got yes. every instance of the word just. <laughs> yes, just is the one that I often have to go back and just do get rid of that one. <laughs> Find and replace. Just, yeah. yeah, let's just get it over with. <laughs> Would you say that you are a plotter or a pantser or something in between? So I think I'm a very highly strung and fastidious person, which predisposes me to plotting. I don't pants anything in life. And so I started off creating a sort of a board going through the different plot points. But the thing that I love most about the process is how as much as you can plot out where exactly you're going. At a certain point, the characters start acting of their own volition and they say, I would never do that. And you have to say, well, what did you have in mind? (laughs) And then all of a sudden, you're kind of taking on board their notes. And that's the thing that I love about it, though. I think I got um, 10,000 words in to the first draft and I realised someone was missing. I woke up one day and I went, where's Celeste? Like with the name. With the name in your head, wow. Where's Celeste? I thought this isn't going to work without Celeste. And I had to go back and write Celeste in. And you can't plan for someone showing up like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I loved that part of the process too. It feels bewitched at certain points. Mm. There's a magic to it. And I'm in no way a sort of juju person, but gosh, some things happen. Even as you're doing research. So I, the portion of the novel that is set in Greece is set on a Greek island called Ikaria. And I wanted to engineer a sort of B story in about local women subsidising family incomes through time-honoured traditional embroidery. Because I really, I think the role of women in communities and in providing for families and the creative ways that this can happen, and particularly in a sort of heavily patriarchal society, like what's appropriate and these sorts of things. And I was Googling towns on the island and the town that I decided to place this family, a mountain town on this island, they ended up having some antique loom. They were known for it. Like you can visit this relic of artisan textiles manufacture. And all I did was go to Google Maps and go, okay, this is where my story is taking place. I'm just going to choose a town. And I just went, boop. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, what are the odds that I'm... Mm thinking I'm going to make this village have a heritage in textiles and then find that in actuality they do. That's amazing. Yeah, like you say, you can't really try and understand when those things happen. It's just, it's all, it's like when you say something and then your phone starts giving you all the, it's a bit like that. There's this other power operating, yeah. Absolutely. It's thrilling. I just got goosebumps telling that story. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's great. I love it when that side of things take happen. And, and you do realise there is this creative drive that we have within us and it's part of our subconscious that we can't always control or orchestrate. It's just going to do what it's going to do. 
Absolutely. And the idea of the muse, I can absolutely see where that comes from. Mm. Because there are times, and it is just a feeling, that it feels like you're just the vessel through which something is pouring. I'm very committed to not waiting for that feeling, but writing into it. Mm. Because there's mm. no perfect timing when you have a busy life. Yeah. For, oh, I just need that perfect time to write. They're like, it's not coming. So you there should, is no perfect you time. Do it now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you, if with a bit of luck, the muse will show up like, oh, look, she's at it again. But oh, I better pop down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We all hope that's going to happen. Does sometimes it doesn't. Which actually brings me to the next question. And like as a mother, how old are your children now? Four and six. Okay, so still very young and still one at home, not at school yes. or preschool maybe. But how did, with, as someone with a family and a busy life and all that sort of thing, what do you do to fill your creative? That's an excellent question. Do I feel it? Am I just drawing from it constantly? <laughs> Is it about to run dry because I haven't been filling it? Look, I'm studying creative writing at Deakin. Okay. So that's fabulous. That absolutely appeals to my inner as well as my inner creative. I think just, again, the Instagram community is really like feeling like you're part of something bigger is wonderful. I don't know. I think I, I have a sort of tendency towards autofiction as well. I write, I joke that fiction is the glue that I used to hold together the reality of a story. Okay. So returning to Adelaide is such a patchwork of my own experiences, dreams, fantasies, memories. For instance, in the book, Adelaide has made friends with a Greek brother and sister. And this happened when she visited her grandmother, her yaya, at one summer 20 years prior. And so that whole section is based off my own trip to Greece in 1994 when I was 14, in which I befriended literally the brother and sister in the apartment above my yayas. And there's this one particular scene where they're, they've gone to the rooftop to eat ice cream after returning home from the beach. And it ends up in this ice cream fight. And I think the line is they were soon locked in a giddy dairy-based combat. <laughs> and so they're throwing ice cream at each other, sort of heaving with the exertion of it and the laughter and all these wonderful things. And at that moment, a rainstorm descends upon them and they're washed clean by this rain. And this happened to me in Greece in 1994. Okay. And all I had to do was write it and change the names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I store up these little gems and just repurpose them and tack them onto something else or use them in a slightly different way. And yeah, I mm. know that I really write fiction that it's all a bit true. <laughs> <laughs> Who are the who are the writers that you have loved and that think, oh, I'd love to be able to write a book like that person? Who are the people for you? Yes, that's a good question. We have to say Marion Keane. We have to. 
I want to be Marion Keys. I don't want to only, could I also be Marion Keys? <laughs> you can give it a shot, you know. <laughs> um, I mean, to write like her, obviously wonderful. She has such a wonderful handle on humanity. Recently read Rachel's Holiday for the first time. Have you read that one at all? No, I haven't. Yeah, because I haven't read the one that it, that preceded it. So I keep thinking I need to be, so read both. So the new one is again, Rachel. And oh, okay. Because I wanted to read that and a massive nerd, as I mentioned earlier, of course, I had to go back and read Rachel's Holiday, which came out 25 years ago. And what I so admire about her is her ability to find humour in any situation because there's some these story deals with drug addiction. Mm. And so there's, it's a pretty heavy, it's pretty heavy subject matter. And yet the dance that happens between the turmoil and the humour and even the self-deprecation, the things that just happen in life, I really admire her ability to capture that nuance and for it to be done well. It's not like a gag in the middle of a really emotional scene or what it's just pitch perfect. I think humor is something that I really value and that she just is the master of. Yeah, yeah. That's a fabulous person to to have as a role model, I think, for your writing. I probably need to lower my standards. <laughs> no, definitely not. Keep them high. Keep going. <laughs> Well, look how many novels you have a fair stack that you're sitting on as well. I've only got, I guess if you count All We Dream as a separate book, it was a really a, a revised edition, but that's six. But I'm nowhere near Marion. Yeah. Um, I've only written six books. <laughs> yourself. <laughs> Moving on. Not be that guy. <laughs> I've written seven books, actually. See? Just one not yet published. There you yeah. go. That is not nothing, my friend. No, you're very right. You're very right. So how do you balance? How are you finding time now that you are writing, you're studying, you've got the family? How are you finding the balance, getting that right? Or maybe not getting it right, because do we ever get it right? But there is no how balance. Are you, yeah. How are you going about it? How am I going about it? I just do everything in amongst the chaos. I have learned to not wait for perfect, perfect timing, perfect me, perfect anything, because I've realized that time isn't coming. But once you acknowledge and accept that, you realize that you have all the time because no scrap of time is more valuable than another. If there's five minutes before you have to leave the house to go somewhere, you can get something done. And it's not going to be a big something, but it can be a scrap of something. And the mm. scraps add up. There's no, there's no room in my life for procrastination, really. I just sit down and do it. Just keep going. Yep. Sponsored by Nike today. Yeah. Excellent. A word to our sponsors. <laughs> if only. If you're listening, Nike, we are uh, open to that. It writes for women. Correct. Very correct. Are you working on a second novel or is that done and dusted and you're on your third? What's happening? That's a good question. Um, I have a second manuscript, which um, shortlisted in an emerging writers competition recently. 
Oh, congrats. Thank you. It's called Me That You See, and it takes place against a backdrop of the online sex worker industry, and it explores themes of feminism in sex work um, and toxic masculinity and women supporting women. And so it'll be a little bit different from Adelaide. The protagonist is Lexi, who is quite a bit younger and involved in a relationship with a single father. So a bit of a change of pace. But again, exploring this notion of, as women, the things that we give away and the things that are taken from us. So I used to work as a promotional model a long time ago in my early 20s. The Melbourne Motor Show would roll around and there I was standing next to a car, smiling and dealing with men and boys that would... Mm come to the motor show to view the cars and the women. And this notion of the things we put up with and the things that we tolerate yeah, versus something like online webcamming where you're monetizing something. So the idea of people looking at you, which they're doing down the street anyway, yeah. the idea of monetizing that and what that actually means in terms of your own empowerment and doing things on your own terms. So I, I find these sort of, yeah, it was just like one big exploration of a thing that fascinated me. I hope it will see the light of one day. I've, I've made a few submissions to things and I think my existing publisher might be interested as well. So yes, hopefully next time we have a chat, I'll have something new to talk about. Oh, that's exciting. That's very exciting. So just to wrap up, Anne, it's been such a great chat, but to wrap up, what would you say is at the heart of your writing? So I think I describe it as women who are stuck in life and the extraordinary ways they shake themselves loose. And this is one of the parallels, I think, that your work and my work shares is that there's no, nobody's riding in on a white horse. You've got a strong woman who maybe at the beginning thinks she can't until she absolutely does. And so that's what I'm really interested in because that's reflective of the women I know. We don't sit around lamenting that we wish things were different. We roll up our sleeves and we make it. And I find that inspiring and fascinating and interesting. But that's at the core of what I like to work Fantastic. I love it. Very good to chat to you. Have loved every minute of it. Where can people find you online and where can they get a copy of Returning to Adelaide? And also, is it available as a digital book or in print? How, what's happening there? Yes, it is. It's been recently released as an ebook, also in print. So I think the best thing to do might be to visit my website. Um, and there's a whole lot of links as to where you can purchase it. So that's annefreeman.com.au. I would also love if anyone would like to stop by my Instagram, which is the most literal handle, Anne Freeman Writes. That is a promise. And with an E. You can count on that. And with an E, Anne Freeman Writes. Oh, yeah. Check out my website. Obviously, love for listeners to check out Returning to Adelaide. Fantastic. And I'll put those links in the show notes too. Oh, thank you. Yes. So really great to connect with you, Anne. Hopefully we'll get to meet in person at some point. I know. Dare to dream. Like this is, again, tentatively 
re-entering civilization. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much and been fantastic to chat to you. Thank you, Pam. And thank you for your generosity as well. It's just wonderful to have this sort of platform and really appreciate everything you do. Oh, my pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4WPodcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women. Find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Have a great week and remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs>